God, there is no other name in all the world which man can be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. And that is why we gather together. Because Jesus is worthy of our praise. Because he is worthy of all of our adoration. Because he is worthy of our worship. And Father, because you are worthy of our praise, we want to praise you in this prayer. We want to praise you as a church. We want to praise you as your people. And Father, we praise you for creating all things. God, by your word, you spoke and everything was in existence. You created everything out of nothing, but by simply of the power of your word, everything came into being. And we praise that this morning. And Lord, we recognize that the world is now in futility, even though you created, because we rebelled against you, our good and gracious king, the world is now cursed. But Father, we praise you this morning because you have reconciled all things to yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. You became incarnate in flesh like us so that you could live a life that we couldn't live and to die a death that we deserved and to be raised to life again so that you could reconcile all things to yourself, but especially that you would reconcile those who would call upon you in faith. Lord, we praise you for that this morning. And Lord, we know that for those that call upon you, you make all things work together for those that love you. And so, Lord, we praise you, knowing that there is not one single thing in this world, not one little grain of sand, not one person that is outside your sovereign hand. Lord, we praise you because you are sovereign and because you are great in your sovereignty. And Lord, because you are sovereign, this is why we can trust you as your people. And this is why we can trust you in this season of life that we find ourselves in as a church. Lord, we find ourselves in the midst of a transition. We find ourselves in the midst of people coming and going. And Lord, we know that these things don't happen by accident. We know that because you are sovereign, all of these things are working together for our good. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. We praise you for this season of life that you've put this church in where people come and go. And Lord, as we think about people that are going, we praise you, Lord, for Jacob and Jody Roth. Lord, we are so thankful that Jacob came out here to pursue the Timothy Pastoral Apprenticeship. And Lord, for the growth that you have given him in that. Lord, we thank you for letting them come into this community of faith and loving on this community of faith. And Lord, we pray that we have loved them well. And Lord, as we send them now in a manner worthy of the gospel to Moundsville, West Virginia, we ask, Lord, that you would go before Jacob and Jody and that you would give them wisdom, and that you would give them peace about their transition as they go to Moundsville, as Jacob takes a job as a youth pastor there at Moundsville Baptist Church. Father, we're so thankful for the time that we've had for them. And, uh, and just pray, Lord, that you would use them for your kingdom and for your work. Lord, we pray for their children. We thank you, Lord, for Maddie, for Ben, for Eliza, and for little Abigail. And Lord, we pray that in your good and right time that they would call upon your name and that they would find salvation in Jesus Christ and that it would be soon. Lord, we pray for those children that they would not know a day where they did not walk with the Lord. Lord, we are so thankful for the Roth family and we pray that you would bless the people of Moundsville and especially the members of Moundsville Baptist Church as much as they have blessed us here at South Canyon. And Lord, you tell us that we ought to pray for one another in your word, and so we do. We pray for other believers uh, in, in 
the world and in the church. And so, Lord, we pray this morning for the church that Jacob and Jody are going to. We pray for Moundsville Baptist Church in Moundsville, West Virginia. Father, we pray for their pastor, Tony Romano. And we thank you so much, Lord, that he is going to open up your word and probably already has opened up your word to your people. And Father, we pray that they would continue to be a church that is based upon your word. And Lord, we pray that for those that might have been in there this morning that have not known you, that you would bless them through the preaching of your word, that Jesus would be seen in how Tony preaches. And Lord, we pray that as Jacob eventually preaches there as well, that your word would be effective by the Holy Spirit, that people would be saved by the ministry of your word there at Moundsville Baptist Church. We thank you, Lord, for co-laborers in this nation in Moundsville. God, we also are told to pray for uh, our authorities over us and the government officials over us. And so we do that from time to time here at South Canyon Baptist Church. Lord, we pray for our president, Joseph Biden, and pray, Lord, that he would make decisions for the good of the country. Lord, we pray that you would give him wisdom so that he could make those decisions. Lord, we pray that you would bring conviction to where he does not make good decisions and that you would bring that to light and that he would seek you above all things. Lord, we pray that he would recognize that the authority that you have given to him is not any authority of his own, but completely because you have ordained that he would be in this office. So, Lord, we pray that he would govern, knowing that the authority that has been given to him was not his at all, but yours and yours alone. Father, we trust you in this country by the appointment of our leaders and know that you have sovereignly placed your hand and allowed leaders to come and go in office. And so, Father, we do pray for President Biden in that regard. God, we thank you that we have a government, a place where we can come and know what is good and what is right. And Father, we thank you ultimately that we have a government that allows for us to gather as we are right now to worship you in spirit and truth. And so, Father, we pray that we would do that well this morning. Father, as we turn our minds from not just our country, but from other countries across the world, Father, we thank you for the country of Japan. We thank you for how they've been able to host the Olympics this last summer. And we thank you so much, Lord, that there has been good work, especially done by our mission arm at the Southern Baptist Convention, the International Mission Board. We're so thankful for the work that they've been able to do because of the Olympics. Father, we pray that you would draw people to yourself through the different activities, through the different events of the Olympics. And we pray, Lord, that the pastors of Japan would preach your word so that people would come to know who the true and sovereign king is. Lord, what a beautiful picture it is that we see at an event like the Olympics where people from all over the globe come together for one event. And Lord, we realize that that event pales in comparison to the future event that we will see as people of God where we get to worship you with multitudes upon multitudes as the people of God. So Father, we pray that your word would go forth in Japan and that maybe even people that recognize that it is a beautiful picture of getting to see so many people from so many nations come to worship you. We pray, Lord, that they would trust in the gospel to where they can do that for eternity. And Lord, now as we turn back to ourselves, we pray for the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would be gracious to us, that you would hear our cry now, that you would have your word go forth in power and in truth, and Lord, that your son would be lifted high. Lord, we are a needy people. We beg that you would intercede for us in this time. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be effective as you use an imperfect vessel like myself to preach your word. I pray that your words would be my words and that, Lord, I could preach clearly and concisely what is 
true about you and what is true about Jesus. Father, we pray that you would produce a great fruit because we are preaching not my word, not anyone else's word, but your word. Father, be with us this morning. Father, we love you, and we are so thankful that we get to hear from you this morning. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, and we're so glad that you're able to be here with us this morning as we continue on in the book of the Psalms. Father, we... I almost went to prayer again. I apologize. Uh, if you have a Bible, I would like for you to turn to uh, page 480 in those pew Bibles. Uh, and we're going to be in Psalm 66. So if you couldn't tell from my prayer, I'm a big fan of the Olympics. And my favorite moment so far in the Olympics has come from the talents of an individual named Lydia Jacoby. Lydia is a 17-year-old swimmer from Alaska and she specializes in the breaststroke. Not only was Lydia the first ever Olympic swimmer from Alaska, which is, in my mind, a feat in and of itself because apparently there's only one Olympic pool in the whole state of Alaska, but she also swims, I think, the hardest stroke in all of swimming. I, if I were to even attempt that stroke, the breaststroke, I probably would drown. Lydia came into the Olympics relatively unknown, and she was actually truthfully, playing second fiddle uh, to the other U.S. swimmer who currently owns the world record in, in the breaststroke. But in the final, it would not be the other U.S. Olympian that won the gold. It would be 17-year-old, relatively unknown, Lydia Jacoby that would take the gold over her U.S. teammate who owns the current world record and over a South African individual who currently owns the Olympic record. 17-year-old from Seward, Alaska, wins the Olympic gold. I got to watch that event live. It was incredible. It was so fun to see her swim and to win that event. But what was even more special about that event and what made it even more exciting was they filmed the reaction of her hometown, Seward, Alaska, and the, her, their reaction to her winning that event. They went ballistic. They were so excited. People were jumping up and down. They had metal folding chairs. Those things were getting broken because people were just so excited that this girl from small town Seward, Alaska would win the Olympic gold. It was a really special thing, not just seeing that gold being won, but also her whole town winning that uh, gold medal. It struck me, though, how odd it would have been if they televised the whole town, the whole gym of Seward, Alaska, it, it would have been so odd and honestly kind of sad if Lydia won the gold and she was shocked whenever she won. She was like, and it would have been so odd if her hometown after she won the gold was just like the whole time, just stoically like a statue. It would have been a really weird and honestly wrong response to the event that occurred. And so this morning, likewise, what we find in our psalm this morning is actually a right response to an event, and actually not just one event, but many events, and to the Lord himself. So let us read about what a right response to a good event looks like this morning in Psalm 66. Please read along with me. Psalm 66, to the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. 
All the earth worships you, and they sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God for it. I love this text, and it has been such a sweet thing to study for me this week. And I think I just want to break down this text for us uh, in its structure and then just really get into the main idea after that. So let's just talk about how the text is structured uh, initially. In verses 1 through 4, the psalmist exhorts all the earth to worship the Lord. And then in verses 5 through 7, he retells uh, of the Exodus. He talks about that sea turning into dry land. In verses 8 through 12, he recounts how the Lord has saved Israel through all these different calamities. In verses 13 through 15, the psalmist goes into individual praise of the Lord. He talks about making sacrifices and making good on those vows. And then in verses 16 through 20, the psalmist tells of the Lord answering his cry whenever he was praising him. So in light of that, I want to talk about the main idea or what I think the author is trying to get across. The main idea of this text is this. Because God has shown steadfast love, we ought to praise him. Again, that main idea is this. Because God has shown steadfast love, we ought to praise him. And what I would like to do is answer three different questions as we look at the text. What I see are three different groups that ought to praise the Lord. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about who ought to praise God, why should they praise God, and how should they praise God. And the first group of people that I see that is being exhorted to praise God is this group in verses 1 through 4, which is all of the earth. So the first question that we ask is, who ought to praise God? It's all of the earth in verses 1 through 4. The psalmist wants to make his readers keenly aware that everything and everyone on all of the earth ought to praise God. And the tone of these first four verses, it's not a mere suggestion. It is a command from the psalmist Every living thing ought to be in praise to the Lord. The earth is to shout 
to sing and to give glorious praise to the Lord. I want us to notice specifically how the psalmist is addressing all of the earth. He's addressing those, yes, who may be glad to do so, but also for those who are compelled just by who God is. Everyone is meant to praise the Lord. Seemingly, as we see in verse 4, excuse me, in verse 3, even the enemies of God will come to God in adoration and in praise. No one is off limits when it comes to praising the Lord. No one is off limits. I think there's something to be said here. It is in the earth's DNA and it's in every single person's makeup to be created for the purpose of giving glory to the Lord. Friends, anything outside of that is going outside the design for which God created you. From the smallest ant to the majestic mountains to every single person here in this room, we are to give praise and glory to the Father because they exist. This is the purpose for which they were created, to worship. Friends, you know that this morning. You were created to worship God and God alone. So the second question that we, have to a- we ought to ask to all of the earth is this question. Why should they praise God? And I think what we see in these first four verses is one big reason for why they, to pra- for why they are to praise the Lord. And I think that big reason is this, because of the Lord's creating power. In verse 3, when the psalmist says that all the earth ought to say, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you, this denotes a couple of different things. It denotes a couple of different aspects of God for why he ought to be praised. And the first reason that we see is how the Lord acts in his creation is like nothing and like no one else in all, all of creation. In fact, the Lord himself is an uncreated being. He has always been and always has been. He spoke and spun everything into motion. This is the reason that all of the earth ought to praise him because they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the word of the Lord. Only the Lord can demand the praise of all of the earth. This is an attribute that is singularly focused to God himself, Yahweh. Nobody else deserves the praise that Yahweh deserves. I believe this is what Paul was getting at in Romans 1 when he was talking about God's eternal power and divine nature being plainly revealed to all people. That aspect, those attributes of God ought to be praised by everyone because they are plainly revealed. And what is plainly revealed ought to be splendidly worshipped. So what we see first is his creating power. The other aspect that we see is just his power in general, his omnipotence. There's obviously God's power in that he has only in creation. None of us have ever spoken anything into existence. But there's also a power that's perfect in his judgments. This idea that we see in verse 3 of God's enemies coming to cringe to him in adoration, it reminds us of a time that Jen, wrote, that Jen read about in the song that we were singing, that there will be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus, God the Son, is Lord over all. There will be a day of that. But I think even more so what the psalmist is alluding to here is the anticipation of not just a single people, but people from all over the earth would come to worship the one who is worthy of their praise. All the people of the earth will go on to praise the Lord and say, holy, holy, holy. 
This is why he goes on to say in verse 4 that all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. There's a day that we will see where that will be the reality. And we see a preview of this now, friends. All over the world, just as I prayed, there are people from many tribes, many languages, and many people groups that are giving praise to the glory of God. We do not worship in singularity as South Canyon Baptist Church. We sing praises to God with all the people of God. What a great, majestic thing that we get to see, but yet we realize that we do that apart. We don't get to do it in the way that this author is anticipating in this psalm. There will be a day, friends, where multitudes upon multitudes will praise the Lord eternally with unhindered eyes, and they will get to look at the God who created them and the one who so powerfully has saved them. This is one reason why we at South Canaan Baptist Church pray for other countries, and this is why we send and pray for overseas workers to be fruitful in their ministry. We pray for those things so that we can experience that future reality as much as we can now. And Lord willing, there will be some of us that get to go and to be able to preview that for ourselves. But we pray to that end now because we know there's going to be a day where that comes assuredly. The third question that we have to ask is how should they praise God? How should they praise the Lord? All of the earth, how should they praise him? We can say a lot about shouting or reciting or saying as the psalmist commands of the earth. But what should stick out to us more than anything is that all the earth should praise God by singing. That includes me, who can't carry a tune in the bucket. There could probably be a whole sermon that I would let Joel preach devoted to why we should sing praises to God. But for the sake of time, we should just trust in the psalmist's exhortation that the whole earth ought to sing praises to God. But I do think I want to highlight just a couple of things for this specific church. The first thing I want to highlight about singing is that we ought to loudly sing praises to God. I don't get the sense that the psalmist, whenever he was telling all of the earth to praise God, I don't think he wanted that to be whispered. I think he wanted it to be sung and to be sung loudly. And I imagine that whenever we sing our praises to the Lord in eternity, it's not going to be a quiet time. Friends, it doesn't matter if it's pretty or if it comes out on key. It's only to be a joyful noise. And I pray for those of us in this church that it will be a loud and joyful noise. The second thing that we ought to see in this aspect of singing is that we ought to sing to one another. Do you see that in the text? In verse 3, he says, say to God. So all of us are meant to do this. All of us are meant to sing this. We ought to sing to one another because as this psalmist commands the earth to sing, it's not only so that the Lord receives the praise that he's due, but also so that other people hear about the amazing glory that the Lord has in and of himself. It's so that we can proclaim this glory to others. Friends, when we sing and worship as we have done already, we sing so that we can remind ourselves and others of who God is. Our singing is a corporate activity. It is something that we all do together. And speaking of all people doing things together, let's talk about our next group of who ought to praise God. And what we see next in verses 5 through 12 is who ought to praise God? It's all of God's people. In verses 5 through 12, we see the psalmist become more specific on who he is addressing. And from the context of these verses, 
we can see, I think pretty clearly, that people, the people that ought to be praising God in this section are God's people, God's covenantal people. We see this in verses 5 through 7 as he alludes to the exodus. And in verses 8 through 12, by the psalmist's use of the first person plural noun. And to get fancy, what that means is we see words like our and us and we. There's now a specific group that the psalmist is including himself in that is now told, you ought to praise the Lord as well. And it's his own people, God's covenantal people. The people that God has shown steadfast love to. So our question then is, why should they praise God? Why should all of God's people praise God? Well, the first reason that we see in this text in verses 5 through 7 is because the Lord has redeemed them. It's not coincidental that the psalmist alludes to the Exodus in verses 5 through 7. This was certainly a monumental event in the history of Israel and for all of the people of God. As we know, as we look even in the Gospels, the Passover, the Exodus was celebrated over and over and over again by God's people. And like creation, the Lord rescuing and redeeming his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt was an awesome deed that was meant for the worship of the Lord. If you can recall in the Exodus, God tells Moses to go tell Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they may worship me. The whole purpose of God redeeming his people was so that he would be worshipped in the right way. Much of the Old Testament alludes to and retells the story of the Exodus. Stories like Ruth and many of the Psalms, just like the one that we're hearing this morning, talk about this theme of redemption by the hand of the Lord. Friends, we ought to praise the Lord because he has redeemed us. This is something that we, as a new covenant people, ought to praise the Lord for as well. Like Israel, we too have been redeemed by the hand of the Lord. But we have a greater redemption to praise God for. We have a redemption from the grip of sin. We have been rescued from the grip of death. Friends, we ought to be in praise and adoration because of how the Lord has redeemed us. And friends, we didn't have to place the blood of a lamb on our doorpost to make sure that we were redeemed by the Lord. No, all we do is trust in his son. We trust in his son's sacrificial blood to redeem us. That is what we praise. And as we know for Israel, year by year, day after day, they would have to offer sacrifices and offer lambs and goats and bulls to make atonement for their sins. Friends, what God has given us in Jesus Christ is a once and for all sacrifice, a once and for all redemption that is eternally secured by the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. That God himself would die in the person of Jesus should constantly be a part of our praise as God's people. Week after week, you should hear something about us exclaiming the excellencies of God redeeming us as Christians. What a great gift. The second reason that we see that God's people ought to praise God is because God has brought them through suffering. In verses 8 through 12, it's as if the psalmist is reminding his people that the Lord still deserves their praise, even despite the former sufferings that they've gone through. And these aren't light things. If you look at verses 8 through 12, uh, it says, you let men ride over our heads. That's, I imagine, not a very easy uh, part of suffering to go through. But the first 
couple of verses in this section almost serve as a thesis statement for this sort of reason why they ought to praise God. It says, bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. who he has kept our soul among the living and does not let our feet slip. Friends, the Lord has sustained them through their suffering. And whether it was because of their own rebellion against the Lord or because of the Lord's mysterious providence, the Lord has brought them through all the suffering that they have encountered. My friends, as a church, it is a good and right thing to reflect on the pain and on the sorrow of our former and maybe even present sufferings. But I pray for us that we would be a people that look back on those type of events with eyes that see the Lord's sovereign hand over it all. Friends, I pray that we may be a people who praise God for bringing us through those sufferings. And I pray especially for those of us who are suffering, that we would praise him for sustaining us in them now. I'm not naive to think that some of us in here aren't going through suffering as I talk to you right now. So the question then, in light of suffering, in light of being redeemed, how should they praise God? How should all of God's people praise God in light of what he has done for them? Well, the first way that we see this is by retelling of God's faithfulness. It's clear here that the psalmist retells of these things, not so that he could gain pity or so that he could just simply dwell on those hard events that have come into his life, but so that he can retell others of the way that God has worked and how he has been faithful to his people despite all of those things. God redeems his people. He was with them through all of their suffering, and he brought them through it all. It is then natural for the people of God to retell of how the Lord has brought them through all of that. Friends, God's people retell to others about God's faithfulness. God's people retell others about God's faithfulness. For local churches like ours, it is a part of our praise to God to retell how God has been faithful to us. Whether it's because of the redemption that we've been offered through Jesus Christ, or because he's holding us fast now in our sufferings. We retell those things because they remind us of God's steadfast and constant love for his people. Many in this church are currently suffering from a multitude of woes. And we pray for them every single week, at least the ones we know about. For some, it's physical pain. And for others, it's, it's the emotional weight of their daily lives. So I want to talk to a couple of different people in light of that. For those of us who maybe don't feel as if we are suffering currently, it should be one of our highest priorities as brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for those in this church that are suffering. We should pray that the Lord would strengthen and encourage and ultimately deliver our friends and our family from that suffering. We should pray that we would walk alongside of them well as they suffer. And for those of you that are suffering, I pray that you would let others in this body know. C.S. Lewis once said, I've learned that while some hurt is better to hurt while others know. We want to walk alongside of you and we want to be with you if you are suffering. I don't know if you know this, but you are a visible testimony of God's faithfulness in every circumstance. And if you are suffering, and walking with the Lord, you are actually teaching those of us who are not suffering how we can praise God 
in times that are hard. Friends, help us know that. Help us to walk, walk alongside of you. I got to see this up close and personal in a couple of different ways. One of the ways I got to see this was there was a man in this church that, uh, in a former church that I really looked up to. And uh, there was a point where his son, his baby son, was suffering so much that they were wondering if he was even going to live. And one of the biggest encouragements and one of the biggest things that I ever got to see was this man singing Christ is mine forevermore. And that in Zion, he will have Christ forevermore as he was wondering whether or not if his son was going to live. Another way I got to see this was to see a couple who had had not just one, but multiple miscarriages. And were able to praise the Lord with hands lifted up and tears in their eyes, singing that all power and all majesty were given to God. Despite all of the heartbreak that they had seen, they were still praising the Lord. Friends, if you are suffering, you can teach people like me. You can teach those of us who are not suffering how to prepare well and to suffer in light of the Lord's goodness to us all. Friends, the way that we worship God in our suffering, it shows the worthiness or the worshipfulness of our Lord. When we praise the Lord, just as Job did whenever he suffered, whenever we praise him, we show the watching world how worthy our God is of a praise. This turns us to our last group of people of who ought to praise God. And we find this in verses 13 through 20. And it's all of me. So who ought to praise God? All of me. As we can see in these last eight verses, many of the pronouns are, are no longer us, our, or we, but they're now singular. Look with me just very quickly at a few of these. Verse 13, I will come, I will perform. Verse 15, I will offer, I will make an offering. Verse 16, I will tell. Verse 17, I cried. Verse 18, if I had cherished. Verse 19, he has attended to the voice of my prayer. All of these pronouns here in this chunk of verses are all now singular. They're focused on an individual. The psalmist now turns to himself as an individual in the last group that he addresses in the text. So, who wants to praise God? For the sermon outline, I said, all of me. But what I want to express is that for this psalmist, he now exhorts for himself to praise the Lord. So we as individuals ought to praise the Lord as well. I don't know if you can tell, but the text is working like a funnel. He calls on all of the world to praise the Lord, all of God's people, and now it's singularly focused to him as an individual. All of us, all of me ought to praise the Lord. So why should we as individuals, or why should me as an individual, praise God? Well, the first reason that we see is because God is kind. As we read in these last verses, the psalmist speaks of how he will go into the Lord's house and make sacrifices because of the vows that he had previously made. It's important to note here that these vows and these sacrifices that he's making, they're not bargaining chips. It's not like he had a former moment where he said, Lord, if you just get me out of this suffering or if you just redeem me from this situation, I'm going to make these vows and I'm going to make these sacrifices to you. No, that's not what this is at all. Rather, what we find, it is because of the Lord's kindness to the earth, because of his kindness to God's people, and because of the Lord's kindness to the psalmist, that he comes in to make these vows and to make sacrifices. This is a joyful time of prayer, a joyful time of praise for the psalmist, because it is a concentrated time for him by himself. 
to praise the Lord. And he's praising the Lord for everything that God has done, not just to himself, but to the world and to his people. The second reason that we see that this individual ought to praise God is because God heard his cry. And we see this mostly in verses 16 through 19. The psalmist now wants to share with others about this kindness that the Lord has shown him by hearing his cry of praise. I imagine we've probably been in a situation like this, so let me contextualize this for you. We've been in this situation whenever we're in our car and we're hearing that song and we're just praising God for it and tears just start streaming out of our face because we know in that moment we're singing to God and he's hearing our praise. Or maybe we're in our rooms, we're on our knees crying out to God saying that we need him and and we just feel for whatever reason by the Holy Spirit that assurance of yes, I'm with you my child. We've all probably been there as Christians. And the psalmist, he wants to use this experience that he's had to tell people about how he cried out to the Lord and how the Lord heard him. It wasn't just that he simply yelled and said, Lord, I need you. It's that the Lord heard him in his cry and that people ought to praise the Lord because God hears their cries. 